Hello and welcome to episode two in this series of podcasts that I've entitled A Beginner's Guide to the Night Sky. So two apologies. First of all, I apologise for not mentioning HPR, Hacker Public Radio, uh, in the previous episode. Um, this was because when I recorded it, I had no idea where it was going to be released, and it was at the suggestion of Nibble, also known as NY Bill, and Windigo, I think, on the status net Fediverse, uh, that I release it in Hacker Public Radio. So thank you to them, and a big hello to all you out there in Hacker Public Radio. Uh, please do consider consider recording this duo if you haven't already done so. Um, the second apology I have to make is for the huge gap between episodes one and two. Uh, is it six months? Is it really six months? Well, I think it is. Well, that's just life, isn't it? Gets in the way sometimes. Um, so I got some lovely feedback on the first episode, I have to say. Um, in no particular order, uh, Dave Morris got in touch to say how much he enjoyed it. And actually, uh, coincidentally, I was quite enjoying a couple of episodes that Dave uh, has put out in the recent past. Um, also, Neandergeek got in touch to let me know uh, about an HPR episode that I'd missed. And I can't believe I missed it. It was episode 1366, and it w- he was talking about K-stars and using his Raspberry Pi uh, with a telescope. And I do recommend that you go and listen to that. Um, thank you, Neander Geek, for getting in touch. And also, Pokey left a nice comment uh, on the HPR website. And Vanden said some kind words, uh, uh, but felt that I gave the moon illusion short shrift. Maybe I'll return to the moon illusion uh, in a future episode. Um, but anyway, thank you for all that feedback. Always welcome. So, I think six months ago I promised in the second episode I would look at astronomy software. Um, and I, I'm going, true to my word, I am going to do that. And I'm going to look at four bits of software. The first two are on Android. And, uh, and the second two are uh, GNU Linux uh, based uh, applications. So, uh, let's start. Um, I'm going to do this in reverse order of how much I like and use them. So the first uh, app that I have on my Android phone, and I am currently using a a Google Nexus 4, although I do have some old HTC Desire Zs, or Desire Zs, also known as G2s, uh, that I've tested these on. Um, And the first one is Star Map. Now, Star Map is unique amongst the four I'm going to talk about because it's proprietary. And I think it came out on iOS or iOS first. Uh, I don't know that, but it doesn't feel like a lot of Android apps that I have used. In particular, it seems very keen to extract money out of you uh, at every twist and turn. Although I think the basic app is actually free on Android, certainly. Well, the reason I came across it is because I was teaching an astronomy uh, class. It was first-year students at Glasgow University. And... To get them engaged with astronomy, I thought, well, let's get them using their phones. So I I put a challenge to them, find whatever app you can in your phone. And they all had iPhones, as it turns out, these uh, poor, impoverished university students. And, uh, well, not all of them, but most of them, 20, 25 out of 30 did. And a lot of them came back with a Star Map app, which, you know, was pretty good and available on Android for free. So I gave it a, a look. Now, 
It's by a games developer, which shows, because it has absolutely gorgeous-looking graphics. And, you know, it's got this beautiful, striking Milky Way, uh, um, and, you know, gradient-filled backgrounds, and, you know, it just all looks just like, you know, like a computer game, uh, gorgeous computer game graphics. And that actually would also be my main criticism of it. It is all looks and not much substance. And to get more substance out of it, you have to pay money. So, yes, it looks lovely and it has the wow factor. And if you hold it up against the patch of the night sky, it will show you... You know, if you hold your phone up against the patch of the night sky, it will show you what's there. Which is all good, um, but I feel done with rather too much fuss. Which brings me on to the second app, which is uh, Google Sky. Uh, also, I think, called Google Sky Map. Now, I think something to do with uh, the extension to the Google Earth desktop application. Um, but in my mind, it, it really was the first app on my first smartphone, which was a, uh, a Google HTC G1 back when it first came out. It was, what, it's actually October 2008. It's a long time now. Um, and... Uh, I remember when I got my phone, the first app that really made me go, wow, this is something I could never do before. And indeed, I could show it to other people. I think even the iPhone, my iPhone brethren were impressed by this. I don't know if such a similar app was available on uh, iPhones at the time. I don't recall exactly. But I remember them being impressed and, and poking away to see if they could get something out of the app store on their phones. Anyway... It, uh, it's Google Sky, and it is now, I think, open-sourced in the Apache 2 license. And really what it does, it does one thing, and does it very well. Uh, you hold your phone up, and uh, uh, it, it will show you what is present in the night sky. And unlike Star Map, it has very basic graphics. But it has all the things I would want in it. All the objects that you can see with the naked eye are there. The planets are labelled. Um, um, and uh, you're, you've got enough menu, menus and options to cover all the, you know, my basic wants. The only thing is, and I don't remember this being a problem with my G1, but it seemed to be a problem uh, with more modern phones, and it could be in my imagination, maybe my expectations have risen, is that it does seem to jitter about. So you hold up the phone against the night sky, and it will show you the stars and the constellations, etc., that are there. But it seems to just jitter about in the screen, move backwards and forwards in the screen quite sensitively, as if it's amplifying just like natural motions in your hand. And uh, I don't remember that being a problem with my old G1, but maybe it's because accelerometers in phones have become more sensitive. Could be. Or maybe it's my memory. Maybe my expectations, as I say, are, are raised. So I would really recommend that. It's available on uh, Google Play, or you can get it through F-Droid, and the latter is my, generally my preference. Though if you get it through F-Droid, it's on location-finding services uh, provided through Google are removed, and there's a bit of a warning about that, although I haven't encountered a, a problem as far as I know. Uh, but then I, I haven't really travelled about it, I'm just using it at home, so my phone probably uh, uh, isn't too bothered about it. But I imagine if you're going on holiday to Spain... How difficult is it really to look up the longitude and latitude of, of another place if that's what you have to do? Uh, slight annoyance, but 
I don't think it's a major deal. So go with the version on, on F-Droid if you can. Uh, and that brings me on to um, the apps available for GNU Linux. And when I say GNU Linux, I, I guess technically these apps are available on, on other platforms. Because, uh, 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 but uh, uh, I haven't tested them in anything other than GNU Linux. And the first one I'd like to review is K-Stars. Now, K-Stars was the one recommended to me by Neander Geek, although I have actually looked at it before uh, because it comes with KDE, and KDE is the desktop that I use with Slackware on my day-to-day laptop. So I have used K-Stars before, um, and I think one occasion, because it was just present on my laptop and I hadn't installed anything else, I just used it with a, a class I was teaching. Now, I am privileged in that people actually pay me to do astronomy. And uh, and one of the things I do is, or one of the things I like to do are evening classes. And so I need to be able to show people on a screen projector, laptop connected to a projector, project up into a screen. I need to be able to show them what's up in the night sky. And so K-Stars does the job. Um, it's not pretty, uh, but... It's not, but but there's nothing. There's no, there's no problem with it either. It, it, it works really well, and as I say, it comes in the default software compilation of KDE. So you know, just it's there out the box for me. I don't have to install anything uh, when I'm using my Slackware laptop. Um, um, and it it shows you what's in the night sky. I can turn on things like the ecliptic, which is the line across the sky where you'll find the the sun, the moon, and the planets. Um, technically the sun should always be on the ecliptic, uh, the moon can be a little bit off it um, but you know, for, to give you an example it shows the ecliptic light uh, where the, these objects would be found and of course it shows and labels the planets as well and the sun and the moon etc and you can turn this on and off and as it's a KD application you can configure it till you're blue in the face uh, so um, uh, I haven't I have to say used a uh, K-Stars too much, so I can't comment on its in-depth features, but I noticed it did offer to download a, an extra pile of Star Catalog goodies um, on its first run, and I didn't look too much into what that involved, but I thought that was nice, gives you the option of just get on and use it, or I want the in-depth stuff, I think that, uh, that's a good option to have up front. Um, and uh, I noticed that it had a plethora of options for displaying information pages from various sources on the internet. So you could view images, view further information, um, link to observing pages, all kinds of things. I mean, it just was superb. I don't know if KSTARS has been updated all that much in recent years, but that isn't, as I've learned, a criticism of software. If it's reached a stable state, and frankly, the night sky most of it isn't changing very much, uh, and the bits that do change are largely predictable, like the motions of the planets. Um, and that's not a bad thing. I presume it's got plugins, uh, so you can put in satellites and comets that have only recently been discovered, but I haven't looked. But as I say, K-Stars is you know, a fully featured, um, great um, GPL-licensed uh, planetarium sort of piece of software. And that brings me to my final piece of software, which is Stellarium, which to me is the bee's knees. Uh, it's the Stellarium uh, Plantarium package that I would use. It's available on GNU Linux, it's available on Mac, 
uh, OS X, it's available on Windows, um, and I've used it on all these platforms, and it's just great. Um, and it's got a, a beautiful user interface that keeps out your way. It's got excellent keyboard shortcuts, and uh, and it looks pretty as well, actually, in a nice understated sort of a way. Now, I use Stellarium in two different ways. I use it on my desktop, as I mentioned, projected up into a screen. And for that, I do tend to use the GUI interface that comes with it. And the thing I like about the, this interface, and I, I believe there's a number of different interfaces you can get, but the one I use is the one where it sort of slides out the way into the bottom left and the bo bottom left of the screen. And there's two panels, one that comes in from the left side of the screen and the other one that comes in from the bottom of the screen. And when you put the mouse down there, these slide gently into view and they're really quite understated and faintly drawn but not so faint that you can't see it but this is what you want in a darkened room you don't want a, a bright white window dazzling everybody um, and also it would mean it's useful actually uh, in the real in, in real night sky conditions where you, you're dark adapted your eyes are used to the dark you, again you want a nice black background and as dim as possible foreground displays and out the box Stellarium delivers that for me. Um, as I say, these, these GUI controls are very easy to use, um, but when I'm in the planetarium, the real planetarium, that is a darkened room with a, a domed ceiling, and the one I use that's in the observatory down the road from my house where I give classes, actually the domed ceiling is a, a giant umbrella. When I say giant umbrella, I mean a five metre diameter job <laughs> hung from the ceiling uh, full of spokes and stretched uh, uh, fabric in between um, and it hangs from the ceiling by a rather old looking rope uh, so I do caution my uh, my guests in the planetarium that, that it is in principle possible for the sky to fall on them but it has never happened yet and when the sky has big spokes sticking out of it yeah, you don't want that to happen anyway, so the, the setup in there is that you have a computer projector uh, and it's mounted quite high so it's sitting about six feet off the ground in a specially constructed stand and it is connected to a, 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 it's a normal computer projector I should add and it's connected to a laptop which is an ancient MacBook not my choice but that's what was provided and uh, on that is an ancient version of Stellarium is it 0.4? Maybe it's way out of date anyway but that's what's on it and an important bit is that the projector projects in a completely normal way, but not onto a screen, but onto this curved mirror. And it's like a convex uh, mirror um, that's a couple of feet across. Um, if you imagine like it being like sort of a quarter of a rugby ball, that's what it looks like. Um, and then when, it, when it, the reflection of this is reflected up onto the inside of this giant umbrella, which is going to be the sky, um, and you get this image of the night sky projected up. Uh, now, the first thing to say about that is that the view just above the mirror is is, is pretty poor, but the rest of the night sky is, is okay, it's quite usable. Um, I have to say that the quality of the night sky is nowhere near as good as the old-fashioned uh, type of projector. Now, we used to have one in the observatory where it was all mechanical and it was a, a ball with the like, pinpricks where all the stars were, um, well, professionally machine drill pricks, if you like, holes. Um, and uh, and then there was just a lamp inside, a very bright lamp that ensured that you got nice sharp star images. Now, that produced a, a more realistic 
and a better view of the night sky. And I loved operating the old-fashioned. You had had six knobs in front of you, a couple of switches, and that was it. But you could dim the sky down, you could have a bit of red glow at one side, and you could stop and start things at the flick of a switch. I appreciated the minimal simplicity and the mechanical elegance that went into it. I did see the engineer dismantle it. But you can't do an awful lot with it. Um, And with this new setup, although with the projector you get this nice night sky, it's aesthetically not quite as nice. But as I say, you can do a lot more with it because you've got the whole power of Stellarium under your belt. Now the first thing is, uh, is that when you're operating the planetarium, you're in pitch in the pitch black. You can't even allow the back, a backlit keyboard. That's too bright. So you have to do things by touch. I'm not a great touch typist, and it's not like touch typing, but Stellarium is good because it is all operable via keyboard shortcuts, which is what you want. Unfortunately, in the dark, on an alien keyboard and a MacBook, which is particularly alien to me, um, it's it's quite hard uh, to uh, to. To, to find your way around. So I do have a little red torch on hand to shine on the keyboard briefly if I can't find the key. And there's occasional giggles where I hit the, the wrong key and something bizarre happens. Like, uh, instead of seeing Jupiter, they, they get a, a constellation art appealing all, appearing all over the sky. Um, or they get transported to the wrong place on Earth. Something like that ha- does occasionally happen. But, you know, I usually you know, have a bit of a laugh with the, with, with the audience about it when that does happen. Um, but... With uh, Stellarium, uh, you can do a number of really quite cool things. I mean, my favourite thing to do, and this does bring in audible gasps when I do it, when people have not seen it before, is that, for example, I show them, um, let's say, Orion, and they can see Orion's belt. Underneath the belt in the planetarium display projected up, they can see this Orion nebula, a little fuzzy patch. And I can click on that, and... And then I hit, I think it's the forward slash key, and then that causes you to zoom in. But not only zoom in, it will then move Orion Nebula to the zenith, the point directly above your head, zoom right into it, and a nice smooth zooming action. And you zoom right in in a, in a, in a beautiful uh, big telescope, long exposure picture of the Orion Nebula with all the colours. And it fills up the top portion of the dome, the zenith. That's the zenith. The zenith is the point right above your um, head, in the altitude of ninety degrees, technical astronomy speak. Uh, uh, incidentally, people often use the word nadir in everyday language, but in astronomy, nadir means the opposite. It means the point directly below the zenith, directly below your feet, the point which is least observable. Uh, you'd have to drill a hole all the way right through the Earth to be able to observe something at the nadir. Anyway, I digress. This. A picture of the Ryan Nebula above people's heads doesn't fail to get a gasp if they've not seen it before. It is quite impressive and then you can do the same with, with Jupiter and the, the positions of the moons will be visible. And when you're finished you press, I think it's the backspace key, um, which is located in a weird position in a Mac keyboard uh, and you'll zoom back out again to where you were, which is really handy because you, you can pick up where you left off. And you can do all kinds of other things. Uh, you can speed up, slow down time, reverse time, set time, move latitudes, go to the North Pole. North Pole's always fun because the, the you can show them that the sun is just trundling along above the horizon, not getting much higher or lower as the day goes by, and certainly not rising and setting. Uh, that's, another, that's another favourite. 
Um, and then you can demonstrate, like you go to the equator and demonstrate that the equator, that the sun, especially at the equinoxes on the 21st and 20th of March and 21st of September, at the equinoxes, at sunrise, the sun comes straight up, 90 degrees up from the eastern point of the horizon, passes right through the zenith, there's zenith again, you know what that is now, um, and then will set down in the western, uh, not western part, but in due west on the equinox, and it comes vertically down and disappears below the horizon. And so sunset and sunrise are over very quickly uh, at the equator compared to a high latitude like like Glasgow, where I am, which is 56 degrees north. And um, Stellarium is is really well set up uh, for this. Now, I think there's a planetarium mode you put Stellarium into, although I can't comment on how you do that because I never set it up. It's the, the very good technician at Glasgow University Observatory who looks after that. Anyway, so um, uh, Stellarium is, is a great piece of software, whether in a real planetarium or on the desktop. The other thing I should mention about it is that um, you can put in various other objects. So when we had uh, Comet Eyes on last year uh, and pa- Comet Panstars just over a year ago, Grace Our Skies, that wasn't by default loaded into the list of objects in um, Stellarium's database because when the last release had taken place, nobody had discovered those comets yet, let alone realised they were going to be um, well, actually neither of them turned out to be that visually exciting in the real night sky, although they could have been um, but uh, the point is that Stellarium didn't include them and so, uh, you, but it's not too difficult uh, in Stellarium to uh, to add in uh, these objects um, now I'm not going to attempt to describe uh, the details of how you would do that, but I think in the show notes I'll provide you a link of how to that, that will show you how to add a comet in, so that if Comet Super Duper Wonderful Seven appears uh, and promises a spectacular view, uh, uh, promises it to be a spectacle in our night sky later in the year, uh, that you can uh, go and add it in yourself and find out exactly where to look and prepare yourself for the ultimate disappointment, which is any almost every spectacular comment or meteor shower that is predicted. Well, not everyone, no. I exaggerate. There have some, been some real corkers of comets in, in my lifetime. Comet Hale-Bopp, uh, Comet Hayekitake, to name but two. Anyway, um, so that's my roundup. Now, apologies if you feel I've given to borrow Vanden's expression, short shrift to the other applications, in particular K-Stars. That's really because I use Stellarium more than anything else. Um, another piece of software which I'll probably come back to in a future episode is Celestia, which lets you leave the surface of the Earth and fly around through space uh, in a very scientific and accurate and mind-bogglingly confusing 3D sort of a way. I think I will, I will talk about that in the future, but I think that's enough for this episode. Um, so... Thank you very much for listening and thank you to the good folks uh, at HPR and its community um, for allowing me to be a part of it and providing so many other podcasts that I've enjoyed. Uh, Thank you very much for listening and please do let me know if you've got any feedback uh, on the website or wherever it is you prefer to leave feedback. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HPR listener like yourself. 
If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All BinRev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.